When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, July 28th. I'm Jack Farley, joined by Real Vision's Weston Nakamura. Today, all eyes are on the Fed and Fed Chair Jerome Powell, who spoke at the conclusion of the FOMC uh, meeting, Federal Open Market Committee. They made a lot of announcements. A lot of financial journalists and macro hedge fund managers are trying to parse every word of his uh, speech. We will be doing the same. Uh, Weston, who is joining us, he is also going to be updating us on his trade uh, of shorting Chinese tech stocks and going long American tech stocks since he made that recommendation or he shared that with us on Real Vision Daily Reefing uh, a few weeks ago. Obviously, that trade has performed uh, f- phenomenally well. Um, and lastly, of course, we will be talking about part three of Kathy Wood's interview with Kirill Sokoloff on the Real Vision Essential tier. Weston, welcome to The Daily Briefing. Um, it's great to have you back on. It's an honor to be here with you, Jack. You know, the honor is all mine, um, not only because of that trade, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, Weston, let's start out with uh, Fed Chair Powell's speech at the conclusion of the FOMC meeting. There was a lot to uh, analyze. The Federal Reserve announced two standing uh, repurchase facilities, which many were anticipating. And they also um, you know, omitted some taper talk, which we, we, we can get into. What were your thoughts on 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 um, the the events today? Um, yeah, the so the the repo facilities that's that's just making something permanent that everyone had been utilizing anyway, and so it's kind of just you know solidifying something as as official. Uh, what I thought in terms of language and literally language that was interesting is that. So in the post, um, call it, I don't want to call it post-pandemic because we're obviously still pandemic, but post like immediate, you know, emergency era of pandemic um, and this sort of inflationary era that we're in, the Fed has been using two specific, um, very purposeful uh, phrases. One is transitory, the other one being um, substantial further progress. Now, those two phrases in combination they give the Fed a ton of flexibility, which is why they constantly use them. Transitory essentially means that you know it's something that is um, is, is temporary um, in the near term, and it therefore gives them maybe one or two meetings of wiggle room in terms of time frame to have to specify something. The substantial further progress is the actual progress itself. It's a very uh, you know subjective term. It can be measured in any way that they choose to measure it. So today, um, Powell actually kind of defined more or less. He was asked about at least what transitory was and what you know substantial further progress was. And again, he could change this up as much as he wants to, but apparently, it's uh, transitory is like temporary, but doesn't mean that price increases will be taken back. So he's looking for rate of change, basically, um, and he doesn't believe that rate of change in, in CPI is going to persist. Substantial further progress. 
as far as right now is concerned, labor market. So that's what he's um, he's kind of focused on. And so I thought that was uh, interesting that they they finally defined uh, what these two very key phrases mean. Yeah, uh, just going back to the uh, standing facilities, there has been a lot of talk about reverse repo, which is when the Fed actually lends treasuries or, or collateral, other collateral, like mortgage-backed securities, into the market to stop rates from going down, uh, you know, way, way down or perhaps even below zero. Um, but then what they did today was establish actual repo, standing repo facility, not reverse repo, where they're actually supplying cash to the market. And uh, Powell referred to the, the rate of 25 basis points, which is well above where money market rates are now as an out-of-the-money uh, uh, rate. And I liked how he sort of used that term from the options world to indicate that it's kind of a ceiling of where they want the overnight rates to be, at least for now. And of course, the $500 billion uh, is, the, is the maximum that they can do per day, which is an absurdly large amount of money. Um, I think that the knock-on effect of these facilities is probably uh, bullish for the sort of inter-market uh, um, swap spreads market, which were the real pain point uh, in March of 2020. And I was just reviewing some uh, BIS, a Bank for International Settlement paper today, about just how crazy and you know wacky those markets got, where option-adjusted spreads were, were absolutely blowing out. And actually, there was a report today released from the G30, where former um, Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner was, was attached to the project, calling for this very thing. So it is supposed, Weston, to supply stability to markets, which, of course, is, is what we all want. However, I think that it could be a sign uh, that tapering is in the cards sooner rather than later, because, of course, the reverse repo, what problem is that trying to solve? Too much cash in the system, which is what's happened when quantitative easing is taking $120 billion worth of securities out of the market. What does the repo market, what problem does that solve? That solves not enough cash in the system. If you're, if you're doing quantitative easing, it's pretty hard for there to be a problem of not enough cash in the system, right? What, what do you think of that theory? I think that you pretty much know. I will say, though, um, I mean, I, I just had to flip through the, you know, the Fed statement as, as fast as possible. The five hundred uh, billion is a cap subject to um, to be amended at any time that the, the chairman would like. So if he wants it to be a trillion, it could be a trillion on any given day. So um, I guess it's more of a suggestion than a, a hard cap. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm. I, I hear you. I, I agree. Mm -hmm. And Weston, um, tell me us about how the market reacted. I saw that there was a little bit of a of a, a retract, re, um, retreating of the spread between fives and thirties. There was some flattening of the curve. Um, what else did you see in terms of how the market reacted to to the statement? Yeah, five. The five thirties. Flattening that was, um, I mean, that was mostly that was from the you know um, short covering. I'm, I'm guessing short covering on the uh, the 30 side. Um, you, if you look at futures um, on uh, 30 year uh, CME 30 year uh, Treasury uh, bonds, they're I mean, they're the volume is pretty huge um, versus the you know the fives, which are which also took a, a pretty big uh, bid as well. Um, Otherwise, uh, yeah, equity markets, you know, relatively flat. Russell uh, had a nice sort of rally into the close. 
you look at real yields, though, I mean, where's where did where's it like at one uh, negative one point one three for the yeah. treasuries because inflation yeah, break even break evens actually rose uh, three basis points. Yeah, that's I think that's an all time low, right? So it is uh, if you look at this chart. Yeah, we got it up. Yeah, so that's that's actually pretty. You know, that's that's significant. Um, now, what exactly is driving that? I honestly I I don't have a specific thing to pinpoint that down to. But I, I mean, it, it's it's going to break. Uh, it looks like it's about to break even further uh, negative. So um, you know, that's in terms of price action um, off of the Fed. That's the the immediate thing that kind of stood out to me. Um, I will, however, say that the price action is not over by any means at all. Mm -hmm. Weston, and, uh, let's yep. move. On. Oh, do you have something else to say? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so what I was going to say was that. Um, my sort of general view on what the Fed um, communication strategy is, and therefore their policy strategy, is that so they're just going to leave Fed funds at zero, regardless of what CPI is. I mean, we're now we're we're at two two consecutive prints of you know a five or above on CPI. I know they don't they don't look at CPI, but nonetheless, yeah, we clearly have inflation and all that, and we're still at zero. And um, so they need to. They need to communicate that yes, we we see that there is actually uh, you know uh, inflationary pressures um, in in the real economy out there. So just like the last meeting where Powell comes out and just basically plays it straight and reads you know off the paper and doesn't kind of diverge away, I think that what um, and then and then two days later you had Bullard come out and start getting very hawkish and then that really moved the market. I think that same thing is now happening. I think that right now, you know, um, you had Fed uh, Chair Powell come out. He gave his statement. He gave his press conference. Then you have uh, Lil Brainerd coming uh, out on Friday with, um, you know, a public speaking engagement. She'll probably be very hawkish. She's a hawk, but um, and that's going to, you know, reposition the market once again, just the same way as Bullard did. Bullard had much more of an effect, especially on the um, Treasury market um, volatility than. You know Powell and the and the FOMC statement itself did. So I think the same thing is going to repeat. So it's not over yet. We still have GDP. We still have a lot of you know macro data. But I would keep my eyes on on the real Fed meeting, if you will, um, where uh, on Friday you'll probably have uh, Brainer come out, talk very hawkish, um, not any sort of detail necessarily on tapering, but like you know to just to signal to the market like yes, we the FOMC we do acknowledge that there are. Uh, you know, some significant um, upward pressure in, in prices and, and all that, that that need to be addressed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And that tough love from Brainerd on Friday, Weston, you, you anticipate that hawkish talk to push energy stocks down, financial stocks down, perhaps give a little bit of a lift to technology stocks, or you're not making a price prediction. You're just saying, hey, this is, this is coming. Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, so, I mean, first of all, we'd have to get through like GPO, that kind of thing. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the, you know, my, my outlook on the directionality um, until maybe. <laughs> 15 minutes beforehand, um, but I, I guess just 
long, you know, long uh, treasury volatility. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so maybe buying straddles on TLT or something like that. Weston, let's move on. Today, of course, is the third day of Real Vision's interview with Kirill Sokolov and legendary uh, investor Kathy Wood. Um, today, they, I watched the interview. They talked uh, much more about far in the future. Um, Kathy shared her insights and her, her vision for genomics, artificial intelligence, robotics. Um, and you know we we could play a clip of of that, but actually I want to play a clip of her talking about why she thinks the setup now is so good for extremely high growth stocks. Um, so we, we can analyze it later, but let's take a look now. If we look at the five major platforms, five major innovation platforms, the seeds for all of them were planted during the twenty years that ended in the tech and telecom bubble. Those were the seeds. And as we know all too well, that's about the time I met you, Carol, when everything was crashing uh, around the tech sector. Too much capital chasing too few opportunities too soon. These technologies needed 15, 20, 25 years of gestation in before they were ready to hit prime time. Anyone running the kind of strategy that we at ARC are running right now back then they were cheered on. It was hallelujah, the brave new world, rah, 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 everybody chasing and, and trying to one-up one another, right? Today, we're considered such an odd duck. Just at the time, all these seeds are ready to flourish. So, of course, that can be viewed only on Real Vision on the essential tier for essential members and above. Weston, what did you make of this? Kathy saying that all of this technology, it wasn't ready in 2000, but it's ready now. It needed that time to gestate, but it's been gestating. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's um, that's that's been her message. It's been her her actions with her um, investors' capital um, put to to work. Uh, here's what I'll say about this, um, you know, this this series with with Kathy. Um, I think it's very very timely because obviously she's on. Um, she makes a lot of public appearances, but in terms of like the timeliness of it. First of all, you had the you had the Tesla earnings. I know, I know it was covered uh, at uh, daily briefing, uh, you know, a day or two ago. But Tesla had a very strong quarter, obviously. Ten uh, percent of the Arc Fund's largest um, portfolio weighting. So that basically gives her, you know, the it it draws the criticism that she's basically this bull market fund manager um, who's just like almost like a Dave Portnoy stocks only go up by the dip type of person. And frankly, she really blew up in AUM post the March 20 crash. So she's never really been tested as like a risk manager and, and all that kind of thing. And yeah, you could have diamond hands with high PE names. But what happens when, you know, you know, the things hit the fan? Well, if you actually look at um, what's happening in China, for which she has significant exposure as well, it actually shows that no, she is not some just bull market fund manager. She actually is um, a pretty you know, in my view, a pretty brilliant trader and risk manager. Um, so she has she had a ton of exposure to, you know, a lot of Chinese uh, tech names, the very ones that just got smoked over the past um, month or so. And just recently, you know, her analyst has been on record saying her her China um, or her Asia like innovation analyst analysts was saying about like, yeah, you know, like uh, the, the the business fundamentals and and the kind of long term outlook and all that is unchanged regardless of the regulatory sort of shifts that are happening, 
Shortly thereafter, though, Kathy Wood started just dumping all of her China exposure very aggressively, you know, taking multi-billion dollar size holdings in, in names like Tencent, you know, it's like uh, eight, 9% of, you know, allocation down to zero against her own views and, and her analyst views, because she's indeed able to put aside what you just played that clip, you know, and those sort of core views that she has. And she's able to put that aside uh, and look at, you know, market fundamentals, um, stock market, stock price uh, fundamentals. And she's able to get, you know, out, cut out of names that, you know, 10 cents she got out of it that fell like 20% shortly thereafter, saved billions of dollars for her, um, for her, for investors. And she's doing this very much publicly. Like if she doesn't get that order done, it's going to be printed at the end of the day. Then it's going to be front run the next day. So, you know, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for her, um, her, her risk management capabilities, her trading capabilities. Um, and, and what this shows is that, no, she's not some buy and hold and diamond hands Tesla person. It actually gives a bull case, not that I'm bullish Tesla, but it gives, it, it solidifies her bull case because it shows that if the price fundamentals change um, and, and work against her, she will indeed cut out of positions. So the fact that she's still holding Tesla, the Teslas and whatever other very high PE names um, long, it shows that she believes that there is, uh, she's considered all these sort of risks and she still remains long, so. So Wesson, you're saying that she, ha she has shown her, not just the ability, but the willingness to pair her holdings in stocks, which she does, is not thrilled about, like her China stocks, which she cut at a very opportune time. So because she's shown this willingness, she's not so much of a diamond hander, you know, my, my ideal holding time is forever, despite the fact that she has said that she has a very long-term view of, of five or, or more years. So you're saying that if she weren't so bullish on Tesla, Tesla she would have sold it by now. That's, that's what you're saying, right? It's exactly what I'm saying. And the fact that she hasn't means that that really solidifies the, the long case that she has for Tesla. Yeah, so that was remarkable timing by Kathy Wood. Uh, I really can't think of anyone else who has you know, been had a knack for finding, hmm, there's some trouble here in China. Well, actually, the only person I would say, Weston, is you. Because you, <laughs> on your last appearance on The Daily Briefing, uh, I, I believe it was two, three weeks ago or something, you said, Jack, I, I've got a trade I've been working on. I posted it on the Real Vision Exchange, which, by the way, for the people at home, you should definitely check out the Real Vision Exchange. Weston uh, Nakamura and, and Peter Pink Pinkasov are posting some wonderful things, as well as, of course, the Real Vision community. Um, so you posted you were short CQQQ, which is essentially is the Chinese NASDAQ, Chinese tech, and long QQQ, or, or the NASDAQ in, in America. And I actually, Weston, I was giving you a little bit of grief. I, I'm embarrassed to say. I was saying, Weston, oh, you know, you say that they're correlated, but what if one position goes against you and the other doesn't? And, you know, it's like long-term capital management, because I, I read this book, you know, a few years ago, whatever. Weston, I could not have been more wrong. Let's actually put a chart up of QQQ versus CQQQ. Um, you're, you absolutely have nailed this, Weston. Your position, you're what, up like 22 23%? Well, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was I was an earlier, but from the time I posted it, yeah, so it's a uh, twenty-four percent. I closed it yesterday at the open. Thank goodness, because it gave back. Yeah, so this charts up, so people can see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it's basically yeah. That that chart is um as of going. That was that that chart is as of like you know going into yesterday's cash open, in which I said this is it's now time to take profits on this. Um, because of the fact that 
we're heading into FOMC. We're heading into earnings with a lot of these um, names that are that make up the you know the constituents of the the queues, and the fact that you can have headline risk coming out of China that can potentially reverse things, which is exactly what you got, um, and you know shorts cover and all that kind of thing. And so as fast as queues, uh, the uh, CQQQ, the the Chinese uh, tech index. As, fa as fast as that dropped, it can reverse, and that's exactly what happened. So, um, so my exit from the uh, trade was was yesterday mostly cash open, like get basically get half of it done by the end of the day, get seventy five percent of it done by the end of the week. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no, that was that was a good um, lucky trade. <laughs> um, basically, what what that was is um, the objective is like. So I, I want I wanted to be short Chinese tech, but like I said, shorting anything just outright is is not, not something that is appealing at all. I, like what, what? There's nothing appealing about limited upside and unlimited downside to me. I don't care what it is. So what I did was um, instead of just shorting uh, single names, um, which have again headline risk that can uh, squeeze like in your face, uh, I. I'm using sector um, ETFs, so QQQ for uh, the Nasdaq 100 for U.S. tech long, and uh, CQQQ, this is basically Chinese uh, uh, tech. This is U.S. listed, and you, you basically CQQ? short CQQQ, not T, right? No, no, not T. C CQQQ, yeah. So CQQQ, yeah. so you short that, you take the proceeds from your short, and you fund the long. And what that does is it basically is a zero cost out of pocket trade, as opposed to if you just went long queues, you'd pay what three hundred whatever dollars per per share to do. Um, so it's it's not capital intensive, you know, less borrow fees and, and all that kind of thing. You're um, directionally you are also sort of neutralized as well. Um, you know, if the markets rally, uh, the the queues will outperform the you know the, the Chinese stocks, and then if the markets plummet. Uh, the Chinese stocks will, you know, uh, fall further, and therefore the short will outperform the what you're losing on the long. And so it's just a kind of a, you know, you minimize the volatility, and seems like a very sort of um, easy, straightforward way to express the short, um, you know, China thesis because it was like this is not going to end here. There's going to be more and more coming, and indeed there was more and more coming. Uh, the Hang Seng Index, the you know CSI 300, the China A shares. I mean, they're they're getting destroyed. Like um, like something like a trillion dollars worth of market cap disappeared in the last you know in the last few weeks, last month or so, so since this trade's been on. Uh, you have names like Tencent that are having their worst worst days since like the crisis and and all that. And so um, so yeah, so the trade the trades worked out you know really well and. Also, if you were just long the you know the queues, for example, if you're just long Nasdaq, you would be like you know midway through the month you'd be up you know maybe three four percent, which is fantastic for like you know just an index. But then ask yourself on you know the Monday, I think it was like the prior Monday when things when everything was in the red, and you were looking at uh, Nasdaq down to two and a half percent, would you have potentially exited? That the trade then, you know, like psychologically, that's kind of tough to look at. Whereas this particular pair trade, um, CQQQ had fallen like four percent that day, so that 
hair trade was still up on the day in you know in a day in which you used to see a, a sea of red so it psychologically helps you to keep the trade on um and so that that's why that's why i i put that on now i exited it for those for those exact same you know sort of reasons you know my, my time frame was hit my like the the reasons that i wanted uh that i was looking for those were realized and there was uh you know an uptick in like nasdaq vol for example implied vol through 20 and and a myriad of other reasons and that's why i was like okay you know what this is a lot in like three days like up you know double digits it's probably time to take the the trade off and so and so i did so you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. And Weston, how do you evaluate the risk rewards of continuing that short or even buying the dip and going long? Do you think that it's, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news, and most of the, the bad news is behind us? Or do you think that this is a structural, like a, the, the ingredients are there for a structural bear market in Chinese equities for the next few months? Um, I th- I'm not sure. I think that the Hang Seng might be actually in bear market territory. Um, so we might be there already. But um, no, I, I actually think that, na- so I'm never going to get the top tick, and I'm never going to get the bottom tick when I'm buying. I'm never going to sell the top, and I've accepted that, and so therefore that allows me to, you know, not care at what happens after I no longer have skin in the game. But my risk parameters, um, yeah, like those are were at top tick, right? And that would be when the state media, the Chinese state media, started coming out front page trying to calm the the markets. Uh, that until then. It was kind of like, yeah, the stocks, like the the Chinese equity market is just going to continue to fall. I mean, they just took the uh, ed tech industry and they said, "You guys are now nonprofit." <laughs> and you just get, you know, get suddenly you're long a nonprofit, right? So, um, and they didn't. You don't, you don't want to be long a nonprofit. And by the way, I think a lot of you know. Very smart hedge funds are long these stocks because they're too smart to be long, you know, the big stocks. So they're long these. These small cap stocks that went yeah, from twenty dollars to two dollars in in a few weeks. Yeah, and, and and you have like, I mean, what if you're an analyst and you have like this whole fundamental view, and then all of a sudden, like, you're told that you know net profit can't do it anymore. So like, the the whole the whole thing is that like, in 2015 in August, it was a very different policy response. Like even up to leading up to the you know yuan devel in in August 2015, which caused global volatility cross asset. Um, before that, like CSI 300 and all that, like the Chinese were trying to manage propping up the market and failing miserably at doing so. This time, they didn't. They don't seem to give a damn about equity holders, like and their positions and, and anything like that at all. So that's what really, you know, uh, gave me conviction to, you know, want to short uh, Chinese equities, but still maintain upside in um, U.S. equities. But once they came out on state media talking about um, stabilizing the market, now the dynamics of how I look at the trade have now completely changed, and that's why I'm out. And so I think that you're going to see volatility. You're going to have like downward pressure, but you're going to have short covering. And that's a really choppy market and a very tough one to trade. Um, and I don't know that NASDAQ uh, at near all-time highs 
uh, with the potential Brainerd coming out on on Friday to potentially slam the market down, and then you know earnings that are coming out of Apple that are knocking things out of the park, and that they're still falling anyway, and all that kind of thing, versus a very very cheap uh, Chinese equity market here, the risk reward dynamics have totally changed. Um, By here, where do you mean the, here? Hmm? Where do you when you say very cheap equity market here, you mean Japan? For, no, 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 no. For like for like the, I mean the you know the Chinese equity market has has, has sold off significantly, right? So oh, versus, right, yeah, you know, on a, you know, yeah. And then another thing too is that a lot of people, you know, a lot of U.S. investors and U.S. kind of individual investors and and institutional, they think that like China is kind of like this obscure market to not really have to pay attention to. Um, I I would beg to differ. There there are you know I mean there's a trillion dollars worth of value that was wiped out this this month alone. That does not come without like repercussions. Um, these there there are funds that there are institutions that are long these names that are taking a huge hit, and you also have them in names that you have exposure to. And so if they if they have to sell something, they they're gonna have to sell you know other things as well, especially if they're levered. And so um, everything Which is they are connected, and it's not a it's it's not in a silo. You know the Hang Seng Index is I mean this is Tencent, this is Alibaba, this is uh, HSBC. Yeah. These are huge names. So. It really is, you know, when people buy an emerging market index, often they think, oh, I'm, I'm getting Malaysia, I'm getting a little bit of, you know, some stocks in Africa, maybe, you know, some Eastern European countries, some, some New Zealand, but it's like 40% China, right? So even if you're not an investor in China, uh, and if you own an emerging market index or a basket, unless, you know, you own something like the Freedom ETF or FRDM or something, which, you know, invests in only in, you know, regimes that, ha you know, um, doesn't invest in regimes that they deem are not respectful of human rights. Um, you you are invested in China, and I would add that these huge uh, technology names like Alibaba, like Tencent, they're just like hundreds of billions of dollars seem to evaporate. Um, you know, day day by day. Um, I actually think that the uh, NAS the Golden Dragon Index, the three day drawdown from Friday to last to Tuesday to yesterday was the biggest that we've seen since 2008. So it and I keep on you know the, the first day it happened I said this is the biggest one of the biggest drawdowns since 2008. The second day I said this is the biggest two day drawdown since 2008. Yeah and then yesterday it was the biggest three day drawdown. Of course today we, we had um, a little bit of a surge a lot of people were buying that dip. Um, but yeah, a lot you're of gonna be referencing now you're going to be referencing the biggest drop since July 2021. Exactly. This is the biggest six-day drop since whatever, whatever. But um, Wesley, yeah, you have a lot of fund managers, particularly non-Chinese fund managers who, are, who are resided outside of China, who are down a significant amount of money. And then there's also the American depository receipt issue: the fact that they don't actually, they technically don't have, you know, the same economic rights as a, a, a national who lives in China and owns a shares. I compared an ETF. Of an A share index to an a, uh, an index that owned the Golden Dragon index that owns American depository receipts and A shares are, are outperforming stocks that are owned more within um, China. So we actually are uh, running up very close to um, uh, our, our end of time. Unfortunately, the time just goes by. I'm sorry we didn't get to any uh, questions from the audience. I will say, Weston and I we chatted today about um, the Federal Reserve and the FOMC minutes. We did a little bit about, about 10 minutes. But tomorrow, I'll be speaking to a real expert to really break down the true knock-on effects of the FOMC meeting. I'll be speaking with George Goncalves tomorrow at 9.30 Eastern time uh, for Real Vision Live. That's, of course, on the plus tier. Weston, 
Um, what what are your thoughts? Do you want to quickly tell us how you're perceiving the uh, Tokyo Olympics and and perhaps how markets are reacting in, in light of them? Um, yeah, it's tough to do in 30 seconds, but um, you, 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 got, you got 90 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, so the Tokyo Olympics. Um, so Tokyo metropolitan area COVID cases are surging, uh, you know, all time highs. Uh, they kind of looked like they were stabilizing, but then that didn't take into account that Tokyo was closed for the last for Thursday, Friday, which was the uh, opening ceremony. And now we're at like 3000 cases, which is like, you know, massive. Um, so you have 200 countries. You have 100,000 people from 200 countries congregated into one of the least vaccinated DM areas in the world. Uh, and uh, at the same time, you have global Delta variants sort of like breaking out. And um, yeah, that's this is probably not the the best place to um, have the first post pandemic congregation of the whole world together in uh, an empty sixty five thousand person stadium that uh, the BOJ will eventually probably have to buy. And um, you know, I mean, it's going to be um, it's not going to be good. Um, so just keep an eye on that. I know that all the coverage is going to be on the Olympic Games themselves. So watch the Tokyo case numbers um, and and um, watch the policy actions. And there's no market implications as of yet, though. Thank you, Weston. I'm going to give you a gold medal for today's Real Vision Daily Briefing. Speaking of gold, Gears Demon wants to know, if real yields keep dropping, isn't that bullish for gold? My answer, just because we're running out of time, is yes. We also have two questions from uh, true fans of the Real Vision Daily Briefing, Prius Omega and TomTom. They both want to know about how Bitcoin and, and other uh, crypto coins are being perceived in Japan. Weston, we are out of time now, but do you want to go on the Real Vision Exchange for a RVDB after hours? Can you do that? I would love to. All right, we'll do that. We will be filmed that, and we should post that uh, in the description and in a comment um, shortly with, within an hour. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who's watching at home, and have a wonderful night. Thanks a lot. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.